The year is 1989, and the sequel to the hit comedy Ghostbusters is released in theaters. Some say it's a weak follow-up to the beloved blockbuster, but does it truly deserve that reputation? I'm Travis Kirkland. And I'm Laura Sato. And this is Defend Your Trash Movie. Welcome back. Welcome back to another fine edition of the show that we call Defend Your Trash Movie. The show, the podcast, where we examine bad movies and misrepresented films to see if they're actually good. And Luana, mm-hmm. the film that we're going to talk about today, today's movie, was released in the summer of 1989, and the summer of 1989 has kind of garnered a reputation with with uh, film circles, geek circles, about being a especially blockbuster-heavy summer season. Hmm. And I think what better way to examine what this season was like than to do, in homage to the podcast Blank Check, another box office guessing game! Ooh, yes, let's those are always fun. Yeah, all right. So, are you so of course with this box office guessing game, Luana will be guessing the top 5 box office of a particular weekend, and in this case, it'll be the opening weekend of today's movie, which was June 16th, 1989. Now, here's something kind of unique about this particular guessing game. Because when we've played this game before, it's usually for movies that have not done well, so they're kind of uh, at the bottom of the box office, barely crack the top five. But in this case, today's movie, it debuts at number one. It was the top movie of the weekend, the only new movie releasing. So uh, we'll go ahead and put today's movie at number one on the board. So Luana, let's see if you can guess number two through five, huh? Um, hmm. I, I, I seem to remember that Last Crusade came out in 89, so that's got to be pretty high. Oh my goodness, I didn't even formally start the game or give you any clues, but at number two, it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the top movie from last week. Hey, there you go. <laughs> there you go, alright. So, we got today's movie at number one, number two is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. At number three um, is like- a... Wait, wait, before is you a... give me hints, um, okay. I could be wrong because I don't remember if it was 88 or 89. So if it was 89, then it's definitely on here. Batman. Batman is not on here. Ah, crap. Not oh, on here. But a movie that is quite the opposite of Batman, but still uh, was a really big hit, is a dramatic comedy or maybe a comedy drama. Opposite of should should I specifically go like something with parents or something? Uh, something maybe about a, uh, a a younger person, older person relationship, you know. Um, so I will say for this movie, 
again, this is don't think genre. This is definitely a movie for grownups. Okay. Um, back when those still made it into the back, top 10. <laughs> exactly. And this particular one, it, it's still popular. I would say still within okay. the pop culture consciousness. Uh, one of the most notable things about this movie is that it is a dramatic starring role for a famous comedic actor. So like he 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 had mostly done comedies before this or, or maybe exclusively comedies before this. Definitely best known for comedies. In fact, when you think of this star, you think of it as a comedian, but definitely has a respected dramatic career. Uh, so it's about like a parent-ish. So I guess I'm... Don't think parent, but think of maybe uh maybe an inspirational story. Inspirational story, comedy actor. Oh, um, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Dead, Dead Poets Society. Number three is Dead Poets Society. That's so wild. The movie like Dead Poets Society is like number three of the year. Like, oh, Captain, my Captain, Dead Poets <laughs> Society is in the top five in the big summer of 1989. Can you oh, believe that, it? That is wild. Yeah, it is wild. Now, at number four is a genre movie, and it is a sci-fi movie. Okay. Um, can be a Star Wars. Was there a Star Trek in '89? I don't, I don't think so. Um, is, is there is, is there space in it? Is space travel? It's definitely space, and it was one of those franchises you just mentioned. Oh, seriously, uh, Star Trek? It is a Star Trek. Can you identify which Star Trek though? Uh, Undiscovered Country. Mm, roll it back. Roll it back. Uh, wait, eighty-nine. Um, final Frontier. It is at it is at number four. Star oh. Trek Five: The Final Frontier. Oh my god! <laughs> Yay! Yay! Uh, you know what? I have <laughs> not seen that movie, uh, Final Frontier, in a good while, <laughs> and I know it does not have the best reputation in the Star Trek filmography. But I wonder. If I revisited it, if I would have like softer feelings on it, like yeah, it's not great Star Trek, but you know, it, it's fine enough Star Trek because I I feel like I get that a lot with the Star Trek franchise, like something I didn't like initially, and now that I'm older and I can rewatch him, like oh yeah, like like uh, Search for Spock is one that yeah, it's not top tier Trek, but I remember rewatching it and be like, you know, this isn't great, maybe not even good, but this is this is fine enough Star Trek, you know. Yeah, I remember, like, I rewatched it relatively recently, like, 17, 18 or something, a couple of years ago, and um, I remember thinking, like, Ooh, you know, this is known as such a, such a debacle, like, such a, such an embarrassment, um, but honestly, it's, it's really not that bad, like, I think Shatner and Nimoy and, and Kelly have, uh, you know, a nice old man chemistry between the three of them, and there's a lot of, like, jokes and, and silliness in there. So it's very affable, and, and I, I feel like uh, like it's such a high concept. Like, ooh, Spock's half brother is off the search for yeah. God. Like, okay, sure, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's honestly, I would because uh, I also like uh, recently rewatched uh, what's it called Generations. I definitely think Generations is worse. <laughs> yeah, I I, I I remember not liking Generations either, but I wonder if like. Uh, just me and my older age, I would be. I, you know, I and, you, and maybe we should save some of this discussion for if we cover a Star Trek movie. But I wonder if it's like 
Star Trek in general has like a much more gentle feel to it. Yeah. Than like a bombastic franchise like Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. So so that like if it's quote unquote bad, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like terribly bad. Yeah, like yeah. like I when know, Star Wars goes bad, yeah. it goes hard bad. <laughs> um whereas like Star Trek it just kind of has this nice genteel mm-hmm. nice uh atmosphere to it. Yeah. Because yeah, Star exactly. Trek, yeah, because Star Trek doesn't even go that epic necessarily. Mm-hmm. A lot like I can think maybe the most epic would be like you know something like Rathacon. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, again, maybe we need to save this for a Star Trek movie one day because I think yeah, yeah, quite a bad idea. Maybe we should do a Star Trek movie someday. Maybe maybe I will defend the final frontier as yeah, well. Yeah, who knows? We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Speaking of we'll see, we have to finish up the box office guessing game by seeing if you can guess number five. And that, well, this is this is going to take some guessing because I, I don't know if this is a film you've seen. Maybe a film you've heard of. So we're going to have to do some, uh, we're going to do have to do some strategic maneuvering here. Okay, so at number five is a comedy movie it is not a genre not a franchise movie it is a comedy movie huh okay um and it is a movie that basically no one talks about except for the fact that it is a bad movie but even then it's not really in conversations with like bad movie discussions 80s uh, mannequin (laughs) okay no how about this Let's see if you can guess this. So the main pull of this comedy movie is that it stars two stars. Hmm. And these two stars are, uh, they were famous on their own, but they also were famous for starring in comedy movies together. They're not a duo. It's not like they're Abbott and Costello or anything, but when these two separate stars were in comedies together, uh, they were quite well-liked and acclaimed. This movie in particular not being one of theirs. In fact, it's the final outing for this pair. Um, can you think about the duo, the two stars? Um, but they're not... So they were, in, they were in movies together, but they weren't necessarily a duo like Abbott and Costello. Exactly, like... These two, okay, I'll say this. One was definitely known as a comedic actor, famous on his own for that. Mm-hmm. And then the other, also a comedic actor, but definitely best known as a stand-up comedian. Uh, was it, uh, no, I don't, it's not Ben Midler and, uh, oh, wait, wait, no. no, no, okay. Um... How about this? Between these two actors, the comedic actor and the stand-up comedian, there was definitely a racial divide between them. Oh, um, thingy, um, Richard Pryor and and Gene Wilder. Correct. Okay, so that is the duo. Now, this is the last movie they starred in together, and it is, and there is a gimmick to it. Oh but my it, god! Is it see no evil, hear no evil? At number five, it's see no <laughs> evil, hear no evil. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen that since God I was a kid but I I wonder how 
I wonder how ableist that movie <laughs> Yeah. Definitely a low point for these two, and definitely a low point for, you know, they did like Stir Crazy and uh, Silver Streak. Definitely well received comedies, but this one, not <laughs> so much. Oh my gosh. Now, what a blast from the past. I have not thought of C No Evil for 20 years. And it, hey, hey, it's number five at the box office. <laughs> that's so wild. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a really good job, Luan. I don't know if I could have even done something. I need some good. help. With, I, I've definitely done better, I feel. Okay. Do you want to hear quickly what the rest of the yeah, top 10 is looking like? That. Of, 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 what, what, what week was it? What, what, the week time? of June 16th, 1989. Oh, so uh, Alright, so okay, at number six, we have Field of Dreams. Oh yeah, that's another kind of move for adults. Number seven, we have No Holds Barred. Is that the, uh, was that Chuck Norris movie? That's the Hulk Hogan movie. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. And at number eight, we have Roadhouse. Oh, cool. Number nine, Pet Cemetery, the original. Oh, cool. And at number 10, rounding it out, K9. <laughs> the uh, the uh, Jim Belushi. Uh, Teaming up with a dog to yeah. solve a police case. I like that one better than Turner and Hooch. You like K9 it. better than Turner and Hooch. Is it because the dog doesn't die? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen either of them in 20 years, so <laughs> this is purely my little, little kid opinion. Like, hey, uh, K-9's better because the dog doesn't die. <laughs> Do you prefer K-9 or its sequel, K-19, The Widowmaker, that they made years later? <laughs> where, where he has turned to communism. <laughs> <laughs> instead of Liam Neeson. Oh, my God. Do you think K-19 would, be, would have been better instead of... Uh... Instead of Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson, it was Jim Belushi and the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> what a wild box office, though. Can't get a box office like that anymore. Yeah, there's like at least three movies that are like specifically for adults. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know what? Maybe we can talk more about the summer of 1989 by talking about the number one movie that did debut this particular weekend. And that movie is Ghostbusters 2. At the stroke of midnight, on New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes... When the slime starts to rise. The Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload. We gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you gonna call? Right, suck in the cuts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box, ready to go. We'd 
be fast and they be slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, 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 no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the 10th level of hell. And kick some slime. Looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year! Close them. Ghostbusters 2. You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. We're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. Yeah. We're back! Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters 2, directed by Ivan Reitman, was released on June 16th, 1989. It stars Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, and many others. It was followed years later by the reboot Ghostbusters Answer the Call in 2016 and the direct sequel Ghostbusters Afterlife in 2021. Now... I will start off by saying that the original Ghostbusters, the one that started it all in 1984, is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, I do love it. It, it. To me, it represents one of the best balances of comedy and horror, of, of doing a high-concept comedic movie without having without having the entire movie trip over itself um so i do love the franchise overall and i did grow up as a ghostbusters fan uh watch having watched the two original movies many times as a kid and watched the cartoons like real ghostbusters and extreme ghostbusters and also collected many toys uh so yeah i would say I would say I'm a Ghostbusters fan, and I have seen... I did go see Answer the Call and Afterlife uh, in theaters, and I liked those movies just fine. So that's kind of my baseline with the Ghostbusters franchise overall. What about you, Luana? What's your relationship to the Ghostbusters franchise? Um, I uh, watched... Ironically, I think I saw this one before the original, um, because I have... Uh, very strong feeling, uh, very strong memories as a kid of like finding Vigo's painting very scary. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, he's Vigo. He's Crasho. <laughs> and I also watched the real Ghostbusters uh, as a kid. I loved that. I loved the cartoon to the point that whenever I would the the whenever the movie would uh, would pop up on TV, I'd be like. Oh yeah, Slimer's not really in this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that yeah, I think that makes sense because Ghostbusters. If you think about like the Ghostbusters franchise in the eighties, mm-hmm. like Ghostbusters two and the cartoon, obviously are like the most kiddie versions or like mm-hmm. the most kid friendly versions. Like the first movie, 
you know, it's just a bunch of SNL guys who like smoke and drink. It's like, ah, let's make a movie where we zap lasers at ghosts. Yeah, why not? And we're going to have a blowjob joke in the middle of it and all that. Um, whereas like Ghostbusters 2, because uh, the real Ghostbusters cartoon comes between the first and second movies. And so Ghostbusters 2 definitely feels like that movie, uh, the movie that was influenced by what it became, by how large of a, like a kid audience it attracted. Um, what do you think generally also though, well, uh, but like aside from like as a kid, like what are your feelings about it now as an adult with uh, all the other stuff that's come out? Uh, like the, the franchise as a whole, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the other stuff, with Answer the Call, Afterlife, and now I guess Sony is like all in on trying to really restart this franchise. Yeah, I guess there's an Afterlife sequel coming, huh? And mm-hmm. Recently heard. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a weird one because, like, um, I guess with like something like Star Wars, like you had a trilogy of movies, and then, and then there had always been like those video games and comic books and whatnot. But with Ghostbusters, you really just have that one original movie that you know people keep coming back to, and people keep want to recapture the magic of. Um, I generally like most Ghostbusters things to, you know, a more or less an extent. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have it as close in my heart as you do, but I, I do recognize that the first one is, like, you know, an absolute genre banger, you know, that, that is, is, is to me, uh, I, 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 I think it's a fantastic work of, like, mixing, kind of like Evil Dead 2, you know, the laughs and the scares, uh, and this is masterfully done with the, uh, with, like, the... The escalation of the, of the supernatural and the you know the the combination of BSNL guys drinking and smoking and shit like that. Um, but uh, yeah, in, in general, it's positive because they never quite recapture that um, that 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 magic in a bottle. Let's say, like, not the second one, which was you know obviously a rehashed sequel. Uh, that I think Murray even just did because they let him do that. Uh, what was it Occam's Razor or some, some some indie movie that he wanted to do? And he said, I, "Yeah, I think yeah, he did the first movie because uh, he used it as a bargaining uh, mm-hmm. a bargaining tactic to do to do the adaptation of Razor's Edge." The Razor's um, Edge. There you go. Um, yeah, and it seems like, you know, I'm in agreement with you in an assessment you made that, like, you know, generally I have nice feelings about all of the Ghostbuster follow-up films, Mm -hmm. but I do think that is something that will always be a, I don't know if it's a problem, but a lingering issue that I think each follow-up has to contend with is that, it really is trying to capture the quote unquote magic of the first movie. Right, right. But that's not easy to to do. I mean, comedy horror is already hard enough anyway. Mm-hmm. Like we listed Ghostbusters and Evil Dead 2 as like two great examples, but how many other yeah, you know exactly. fucking terrible horror comedies that either aren't funny <laughs> or aren't scary or just terrible in general. Mm-hmm. Um and, and and another thing is that it's like it, Ghostbusters, I think, is like a movie of its time, too, in a way, in a weird way, even though it's like now considered like a franchise film. 
that original movie is like, yeah, it you you have this, you know, group of comedic people who are kind of at the height of their post SNL getting into movie stardom mode. Right, right, right. And like 80s movie budgets are starting to really creep up and to the point where like really weird genre concepts like a like a supernatural busting comedy could be approved um, with the rise of like horror starting to get a little bit more mainstream in uh, in kind of mainstream cinema with either like right. slashers or supernatural films like poltergeist and exorcist that it's like it's it's kind of like a all these things had to kind of happen at once Mm -hmm. for this for the concept of ghostbusters to happen right right and something that i don't think and we'll get to the sequel but something Mm -hmm. that i think a lot of people miss whether it's people who try to make follow-ups or even fans of the franchise in general is that Really, the key to that original movie is that, look, you know, it's a lot of fun with the ghost and the proton packs and the Ecto-1 and Stay Puff and all that. All that aesthetic stuff and all that horror stuff and the lore and everything. That's all fun. But what makes that original movie so unique and, and, and so hard to replicate is the magic of the chemistry in the writing right. of the characters. Cause really Ghostbusters for it being, you know, this big movie about the uh, apocalypse is essentially a character piece. It's a character mm-hmm. comedy and it's you. And going back to it's again, you have sort of these comedy stars at the right moment of Aykroyd, Murray and Ramis and then, and Moranis. And then you have like a dramatic actress at the right moment, like Sigourney Weaver all coming together to kind of write and craft these characters to create like these really memorable jokes and situations and lines and whatnot. And that's what's really is, I think, the key to a ghost to the original Ghostbusters is that they managed to craft all that character situational stuff well so that then all the other stuff like the no ghost logo and the traps and the, and the slime and everything also works so well as the aesthetic. And that's sort of the issue with Ghostbusters 2 that it runs into is that it 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 is tr- trying its best to replicate that. And even with pretty much all the principal creatives involved, it, it it's it's a little bit of diminishing returns, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just I just came to realization that uh, I, I never really made, but mm-hmm. you you just uh, made me realize this. There's another franchise from the '80s that is kind of in that same situation where you know we regard it as a franchise, but it's really just all uh, trying to recapture the magic of the first movie every other time, and that's Predator. You know, we talked about yeah, that, and and that's. Uh, you know, Predator also is like, you know, we talked about this on our Predator episode. It's, it's, it, it was a product of its time. It was kind of a response to 80s buff guy action movies. It was putting that 80s buff guy in that role. And, you know, that is how audiences, you know, kind of viscerally responded to it. 
Imagine, imagine a uh, Ghostbusters series where Bill Murray never again showed up after the first movie. Now he's in form. Then, huh? Weird. Yeah, and then uh, I will say mm-hmm. uh, that as of this recording, I still have not seen Prey. Mm-hmm. It it is definitely high on my list, but it's just you know a lot <laughs> of stuff to to get through. The backlog's big, um, but uh, it sounds like like it's so highly regarded because it feels like you know i think uh predator 2 predators and, and blah 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 oh i mean we did yeah we talked about it on the predator episode yeah. they're all trying to capture the magic and it feels it i guess it feels like prey kind of maybe is the most cognizant of what makes that first again this is me not seeing yeah. it but it seems like it is most cognizant of what makes that first movie work and then you and then using and then just going in a new direction but with those conceits in mind am i am i correct in that assumption well absolutely i i i think that when we recorded our predator episode that i had not seen prey yet i'm not quite sure i think Um, it was pre-prey yeah right right um but i will say that before prey i would have said that they were kind of in the same situation where I like both series generally, um, even if, you know, <laughs> besides the first one, not all, not any of them are really any good. <laughs> but now I have to say that the Predator franchise has two good movies, whereas Ghostbusters still has one good movie and a bunch of relatively enjoyable ones to, to great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold and say yes, Prey is also a full on good movie. Like it's a it's a capital G good movie, not just like ah eh, if you yeah. like you know that type of shit you know you'll you'll have a fun time. Yeah, that's what I would say about the Predator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely, and you know what? Maybe I think to an extent Ghostbusters too, because I'll yeah, I'm not, yeah I'll say this okay I'll say this as a positive about this movie. I think one of the positives of this movie, even though I just said yeah, most of the creatives people came back and it's the mission returns i'll say that i think what still works about ghostbusters 2 is the fact that it retains most of the cast Mm -hmm. and it's like even if the material like the lines and the dialogue even if that material is not as strong as it is in the first movie uh, I think they did such a great job in casting the right character, right. Uh, casting the right actors in the characters that uh, when you see them again in the sequel and they're just hanging out, even if the jokes aren't as great, uh, it's still pleasant. It's like, uh, you know, it's like fucking what people like about the MCU. It's maybe not even like necessarily the new adventures. It's like, oh, uh, I just want to see my old friends again. Yeah. Have a new hangouts and conversations, and I think that is still a positive of Ghostbusters too. Is that like Murray, Aykroyd, Weaver, and everybody? It's like okay, no, these are still like pro actors, still fully realizing their characters, and even if it's not the greatest humor, seeing them bounce off in the each other in these characters is still like a a good enough time, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I actually enjoyed rewatching it. Um, I had a had a, like it's like my brain is telling me like, oh, this is just a rehash, this is a cash grab, but it, it was a fun time watching it. They're they're all very charismatic. Um, 
like my brain can tell me that like Venkman is like, like a real archetype of a toxic character. <laughs> but I think Bill Murray is very funny as Venkman. That so, is, I mean, that, unfortunately, that is like one of the tro- you know we haven't mentioned it yet, but of course, you know, unfortunately, probably starting with Answer the Call, you know, Ghostbusters has. Ugh, unfortunately, I have to be <laughs> oh, this. We're gonna have to dig into this, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you know, I think we have to a little bit, All right. okay. uh, just because it's like, yeah, it is fucking stupid how it has to be this <laughs> now cult that some people have to make Ghostbusters in some cultural woke battlefield, and I, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it, it's like kind of what you said is like. Bill Murray as Venkman is, I think, is that is Venkman maybe the definitive Bill Murray character? Yeah, right. It, it's gotta be. Um, maybe I get. I guess the Stripes guy. What the fuck's his name? Um, uh, oh, it's been a while since I've seen Stripes, so I don't remember. But uh, but like the, the Stripes guy is kind of like proto Venkman, right? Mm-hmm. He's um, definitely like slob, more slob than Venkman, I think. Right, right. Um. Yeah, uh, but, but also he's he's not quite as culturally prevalent as Venkman. So so yeah, I have to say Venkman is the ultimate um, Murray character. He sort of is like that uh, archetype of Murray, where it's like it's a guy who, in a way, he meta knows that he's in a movie. He's that has a ridiculous plot, <laughs> but he isn't. He barely. He he basically is so meta and sarcastic about the premise of the plot that he's in, but without actually, like, say, he's not, he barely is not breaking the fourth wall, you know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. He's, yeah. He's, like, one look away from, like, staring at the audience mm-hmm. and being like, which I guess, like, the most meta that version of that, then, is when he's in Groundhog Day, and, mm-hmm. like, they take sort of that, well, what if the Murray sarcastic character again, was in a big, silly premise, but he truly then has to deal with, like, the emotional consequences of that, mm-hmm. and how does that change him? But, um, but yeah, unfortunately, kind of like what you said, is that, like, as great as Murray is as Venkman, <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> you can definitely see the groundwork being laid for so many fucking idiots in real life, on the internet, who think right, they're right. so above it all and funny and know-it-all or think they're like yeah i'm smart but i'm also sarcastic you know you can you can see you can almost see the lineage you can almost trace the line between like peter vinkman to rick sanchez basically right 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 there was a um Dear listeners, me and Travis uh, met a couple times in person at the uh, now defunct Nine Worlds convention, and uh, there was a dear friend of ours, uh, Andrew. Was uh, he did he hosted like a movie night there, and there was one year where uh, he uh, he was one of the activities was like uh, people could send in their um, their scripts, their their like spec scripts. Uh, and one of them was uh, a, a, a a script about a, a god. I I remember because it, this I found this so um, indicative of like Venkman's cultural footprint. So, um, 
someone had uh, sent in a script called Convention of Blood, so in which murders start taking place at some nerd convention, right? And like, and and they turn out to be like the product of like these hot lady vampires to 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 drink the all these all these virgin nerds' blood. And um, the main character is this selfish, lazy dick who just like shits over everyone, doesn't do his job, doesn't care about anything, only wants to you know hang out with the this like sort of scream queen uh, that's attending the uh, and he's like this it's sort of you know venkman type of character uh, uh and he is um <laughs> he <laughs> when he goes to kill the the vampire queen at the end uh, he's, he's of course a, a non uh, a non powered guy. He's not a fighty guy. He's a sarcastic guy. Uh, he, she's like, ooh, she's he's doing the sexy seduction thing, and you're like, oh no, he's he's falling under her spell. She like, pulls down his pants, and aha, uh -huh, it's not his dick. It's a Spider Man web shooter, <laughs> and he. And he uh, and he had filled it with like ashes of vampires that they dusted, and the, the, there was a rule that a vampire can't eat another vampire. So he shoots the 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 the, the dust from the web shooter at her, and ooh, she yeah, she dies. And it's like I, I remember Andrew telling us this, but like this guy has no idea that he he made this rude uh, like sub Bankman guy that literally <laughs> jizzes a woman to death. <laughs> <laughs> like oh god that like it's it's not meant to be gross or edgy it's it's meant to be funny and you know it, it's meant to be uh fun and and sort of um um no not subversive what's the um uh low stakes you know it, it's it's mm -hmm. it's a funny cheer moment you know yeah 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 and it's like Oh gosh, <laughs> and that and that really always um, stuck with me. Like that—that's Venkman's, that's Venkman's legacy right there. You know, oh. a, a guy who wins, a guy who has, um, who is above it all, a guy who doesn't, um, who doesn't care about the rest, and a, a guy who has some severe issues with that go unacknowledged. Um, uh, so. But unfortunately, when I rewatch this movie, I have to admit, Franklin is a funny character. <laughs> he's, he's, and Murray plays him fantastically. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, like, look, you know, it, it was the 80s. So definitely there is, and, you know, Ghostbusters has always been this. It's always had the kind of 80s boys club, the slobs versus the snobs type of uh, feel to it. And so, you know, unfortunately, it's one of those things like them's the times and sometimes them times inspires assholes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to say another thing about the changing times is that. Uh, OK, so I watched this movie a lot as a kid, had the had the v, had the VHSs of both original movies, watched them a bunch. And one thing that always got me as a kid was so the movie opens with the Ghostbusters 
are not in business anymore. Uh, and instead of being heralded as heroes from the events of the first movie, they were basically sued out of existence. Everyone is like, we don't like you now, Ghostbusters. We don't believe in you. In fact, a lot of us don't even believe in ghosts anymore or never did or whatnot. And as a kid, you know, just a kid just watching stuff, I'm like, how, how is that possible? You know, how can, you know, how, how can all the stuff, the, the Marshmallow Man, Gozer, how, how can people, you know, look hey. at all that and be like, oh, no, the Ghostbusters, I don't believe them and all that. And how, then where are you going with this one? <laughs> and then, and again, I, I hate that the cynical world has to kind of come into this franchise, but like, God damn it, we are now in a world of conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers and people talking about crisis actors and all this. And it's like, God, yeah, that, it, <laughs> it, it now makes sense that like something like the ghost apocalypse would happen. People were like, nah, it didn't happen. Nah, nah. I still don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's such a... I know they didn't intend on it, but again, it's such a sad meta. It almost feels like a sad meta commentary on <laughs> what living in the 21st century would be like. Oh yeah, God, absolutely. And I think you know, um, the the one of the biggest. Uh, I think the um, comparison I made when I rewatched it recently was um, the climate change. You know, you, you, this is so obvious. Like 99.9 percent .9 of all scientists, like yeah, climate change is real and human human. Activity is exacerbating it, and yet you have like thousands, if not millions, of people who are like that. <laughs> it's uh, it's disappointing. If if only ghost, if only ghost trying to take over the world was like the only problem we we had in this world. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. go, go, yeah just handling uh, a ghost apocalypse sounds like small potatoes compared to everything else. Speaking <laughs> of the ghost apocalypse. You know, Vigo the Carpathian, I don't think is as, uh, I don't, obviously, I don't think this, he's as held up in as high regard as Gozer is in the first movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's kind of some differences here. Like, Gozer, like, even though, like, they, in the first movie, they set up, like, a, the supernatural thread of something's in Dana Barrett's apartment and everything. Gozer itself doesn't really become like a present threat. Well, until both in physical form till the last few minutes. And then Gozer's name really isn't mentioned until like sometime in the second act of that movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas Vigo was pretty much front and center. Like in the first like 10 minutes, I think you see right. the painting, you get a little bit of backstory and you know, and you automatically know that, you know, that painting's haunted and everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I got, I do gotta say, for maybe not quite as a memorable movie, I think Vigo is an interesting, compelling ghost threat, threat at least. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, um, yeah, you can't keep going to Gozer well every time. Mm -hmm. uh, did what was what was answer the calls? Ghost bad guy. That ghost bad guy was oh yeah it was the uh, <laughs> it was that uh, that bellboy bellhop guy who worked at the hotel and he 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 and he was I guess he was basically like an incel 
um, who then uh, just wanted to bring about the ghost apocalypse. Um, yeah. That, was, that, he, that, was he a human bad guy? Yeah, it was a human bad guy. I think, yeah, I, he was basically, ooh, this feels weird now. Yeah, but he basically was like a an incel. Now that I'm thinking about it, he actually... <laughs> I remember thinking like that villain was not very uh, interesting at first, but now I'm thinking about like, oh yeah, this was a, that villain was like a guy who lived in the hotel basement who hated, who hated women, who hated society. And he wanted to bring about some cataclysmic event to cleanse the world. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that seems, (laughs) that seems, uh, again, that seems, uh, more relevant than ever unfortunately right um, oh gosh i completely forgot about rowan his name was rowan yeah 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 um played by uh neil casey who's a comedic actor i like but uh getting back to ghostbusters too yeah i like vigo um played by i can't remember his name but he's the guy who's one of the main henchmen from die hard Big tall blonde. Oh yeah, Wilhelm von Hornberg or something like that. Yes, and that, but that is not his voice. His voice is being an uncredited Max von Sydow. And I'll say as a delightful Easter egg, uh, if you play the 2009 video game Ghostbusters, the video game, which essentially, Mm -hmm. well, at the time of its release, it acted like a Ghostbusters three, but now you can consider it maybe a Ghostbusters two point five. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a fun Easter egg where you can find the Vigo painting in the firehouse, and uh, Max von Sydow recorded some new Vigo lines. If you go up to it, oh cool! Uh, he's a comp- I'll say he's a compelling villain. No, uh, I like Vigo too. Yeah, which I found very weird and answered the call because they they talk so much reverence, and I think this is one of the problems with Out for Life. There was so much reverence to the first movie that it feels. That when I was watching it, I was like, is this movie being so referential to the first movie that it's acting like the second movie never happened? Right, right, right. Cause like at one point there's the there's the part where the kids are in the tomb and like there's all these years that have been carved into the wall. And they're all like years of these big catastrophes that happen. And they list, and they have 1984 up there for the Gozer incident, but then not 1989. And it's like, <laughs> wait, so Vigo was not a thing? Like, he wasn't, that wasn't a big enough threat? <laughs> they walked the goddamn Statue of Liberty. <laughs> exactly. The- <laughs> it was a goddamn mood slime invasion in New York. And, and that was like, no, 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 never mind, never mind, not good enough. Yeah, that's a disappointment. I mean, if you're gonna, you know, it's like as if the Force Awakens was like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna acknowledge Return of the Jedi. Only Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm trying to think of other stuff from Ghostbusters. What was some stuff you didn't like from Ghostbusters too? Hmm. Um. I didn't like that they went to so much trouble to, you know, to, to suit up, to suit up Lewis, whom I like. I think Lewis is very funny and Rick uh-huh. is great. Uh-huh. I'm like, you couldn't have suited up Dana or, or Janine? Right. And this is Sigourney Weaver 
after Alien and after Aliens. You have Sigourney Weaver in a sci-fi blockbuster movie where they're shooting laser things. (laughs) Right. And you're not going to suit up. You're just going to have Sigourney Weaver be like, my baby, ah, my baby. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, I guess she was like that in Aliens, but she was like, my baby, a bitch. And, you know, fucking Fuck fighting. Yeah. yeah, it's like that. Isn't that so weird that none of the Ghostbuster follow-ups has, have ever had that idea? It's like, you have fucking Sigourney Weaver in your right. cast. Give her a goddamn proton pack. Mm-hmm. Like, um, no, yeah. no, no, baby, baby, baby. Exactly, and even <laughs> what I thought was so funny is that the ladies in this movie only care about romance and babies. Like Janine is super like impressed that like, oh, Lewis is so good with the baby. Uh huh. <laughs> and it's like that is literally all the <laughs> like you know. Of course, you know Dana has Oscar, mm-hmm. and and Janine just has like just being impressed by lewis yeah and it's like the women don't exist in this i mean i get it i i i'm starting to get why fans were so toxic about answer the call mm-hmm. and you know and i'll say this i i think answer the call is like i'm morally supported but i think i think answer the call is to me at least it has it has the lowest ratio of jokes that work for me mm-hmm. like i like the performers and stuff but i, I guess i'd have to rank it lowest on on, on the scale of Ghostbusters movies for me. Hmm. But, um, but you know, I, morally I support it because like, I love the idea of a yeah. Lady Ghostbusters. I, I think the, the actresses are all great. I thought the um, Melissa McCarthy-Kristen uh, Wiig relationship was really touching and sweet. Um, but, so even as someone who doesn't really like it, I'm like, yeah, um, <laughs> the, this fandom is... Or, or the previous movies that that I like more have some serious issues with women because because like they are always you know pushed into you know the the romance part or the uh, baby part or you know so so if this is what you are used to, I get I get why you would be angry if suddenly you know like ladies can do other things you know because. Uh, this franchise certainly, <laughs> this franchise certainly did not show you that they could do things. It's 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 why I always say that I get why why guys were angry at Ray because you know Leia knew her place. She you know she may have shot a gun, mm-hmm. but she was there was she was a supporting character for the guys whose story it really was. And there was only one woman in these movies, mm-hmm. and she was there for the romance, even if she held a gun, you know. Imagine if at the end of Rise of Skywalker, uh, Ray looked in the distance and saw the ghost of Dan Aykroyd, and she called herself Ray Stance. <laughs> she shouldn't 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 have have been Spangler. <laughs> uh, uh, Ray Spang. I don't know. Man, I, I at the end instead of staring, all I want instead of her staring into the binary sun, she takes a swig of that crystal head vodka that Dan Aykroyd <laughs> <itself. Yes. laughs> oh my god now I get it race dance <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> oh no I'm a dumb bitch sorry it's okay <laughs> um uh, uh, look I might be too galaxy brain about this but cause I, I do wonder if like 
the message, intentional or not, of women being more valued for their sort of societal expected roles, whether that's mom or wife or whatever. Does that even extend to like the Statue of Liberty? Because they're even at the end, they're like, we need something to get everybody together, like a symbol, something to inspire hope to people. And then even then they're they're doing jokes like Bill Murray's like Venkman's like, you know, wonder if she's naked under that toga. She's French, she's French you know? French, <laughs> and then of course what and of course uh you know what do they do once they get inside of her? They just spray that slime all up <laughs> and spray her <laughs> Spray that slime and then control her with a dang video game NES advantage control. <laughs> they take NES advantage of her. <laughs> We got a nut in the statue. Of <laughs> we got a nut inside a lady, and, it, and, and, and I have to say, they must know what they're doing because there's a there's a shot of when when Ackroyd's doing it, and he has a cigar in his mouth. He's got like, ah, beautiful. Oh, and he's like, it's like, whoa. <laughs> there's every every Ghostbusters movie needed to have an an inappropriately sexual rave moment. <laughs> right. Uh, do you think that's the most they could have done? Like they it's 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 now that the franchise is for kids, they couldn't do explicit blowjobs. So it's like, well, if, if if Ray is smoking a cigar and he's shooting slime inside of a statue <laughs> of a lady, that's you know, we can get away with that. Kids won't get <laughs> <Sure>. it. <laughs> yeah. Um I, is I will any, mm-hmm. is, is there anything you don't like about Ghostbusters? Uh, hmm. I, I, oh, I think that the, I, okay, so I think what works in the first movie are two things. Like, mm-hmm. what I think makes, what makes the horror elements work in go, in the first Ghostbusters mm-hmm. is the cinematography and the music. Um, I forget the name of the cinemat, of the cinematographer, but, he doesn't shoot it like a comedy. He basically right, right, right. shoots it like a dramatic horror movie. Like it looks, the the, the look of Ghost of the first Ghostbusters, weirdly to me, doesn't look like something like Stripes or Meatballs. It looks like something more like The Omen, right? Or yeah, Exorcist yeah. to me, and I think right. that's what makes it looks the, more like something like Look Who's Talking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That <laughs> it has that really bright. Um, yeah, it looks that really b- overly bright look that right, comedies right. have. So I don't like that. I also think I love Elmer Bernstein's score for the first movie because even though it does have its like comedic touches to it, definitely, especially like the main thing, you know, it goes. Uh, I think he does wonderful work with like the horror elements, with like right. kind of the spooky theremin music he does and then like the big grand operatic uh songs when the gozer threat ramps up and uh it's randy edelstein i believe edelman edelman who does this score and it sound and kind of like the cinematography it sounds too comedic for me right, right, right um it also sounds a little too plain like um I know, I, I believe later he got a lot of uh, 
a lot of critical acclaim for his score for Gettysburg. And then I think he his score is most of the music that you hear for the Olympics, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, so, hmm, how to say this nicely? I guess when it comes to something that's, what would you say, less like melodic and a little bit more background, mm-hmm. that's his strength, but it doesn't quite work in Ghostbusters 2. Like, the score to me, even though... I think I nostalgically like the score just because it's like, oh, if I listen to that, that reminds me of watching Ghostbusters 2. When I put on like my film critic hat, I'm like, eh, it just sounds a little too broad for me. There's something telling me a little bit too much that this is a comedy movie and we should be having a good time. Right, 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 yeah. Uh, one thing I do, though, appreciate that does is retained from the first movie is... Uh, it it, it kind of retains the scariness of of the first movie, like, mm-hmm. um, like Slimer is still is in this, and you know when Slimer shows up, he's a funny ghost. But like, I do appreciate that Ghostbusters two still has like not the scariest moments, but like enough kind of things like ooh ah, it's a little spooky here. Yeah, yeah. Um, things like the moment when they're exploring the subway and suddenly mm-hmm. they're surrounded like decapitated heads on pikes and it's like oh that's unexpected i yeah yeah and, and i actually think that in the moments when reitman chooses to kind of frame um like the actors with vigo's painting in the background um it manages to exude some dread like they they can just be talking about something completely different and the painting is in the background and it's 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 kind of scary like it's it's uh like i i think when when the painting goes like full whole hog when like like busting out or you know when the the face kind of stretches out uh i think the 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 um effects have turned it into kind of hokey rather than scary but the the painting itself and Sido's voice are, are still very effective. And so I, I do think that there are some good, like, uh, you know, kitty PG scare. Uh, yeah. Scare in there. Yeah. So um, this might be yeah. more overtly comedic look and feel of that. In the montage of the ghost taking over New York, I was always amused by the one giant ghost because <laughs> he always looks like a rancor. And I was like, wait. They just put like a rancor <laughs> in the from Return of the Jedi in Ghostbusters 2. Because it just looks like a rancor to me. <laughs> it turns out that uh, the rancor in like the uh, the rancor in Return of the Jedi was not a puppet. They actually killed a real life rancor. Oh, and that's where its ghost ended up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Oh, well, oh, uh, it's uh, I guess all about that mood slime. I'll say this: <laughs> one thought that occurred to me was in the opening when uh, Ray and Winston are at the birthday party and they're like, "Look, we're the Ghostbusters, everyone." <laughs> uh, I did have kind of this, and you know, maybe he's happy or whatever. But I did have a thought: it's like, oh, I guess Ernie Hudson kind of does this now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like he, like he's on cameo and you can get a cameo from him. And I think I've seen some 
cameo videos where he's wearing a Ghostbusters shirt. Because it's like, I think probably he knows like, oh yeah, you're, you want a cameo because you love Ghostbusters and you want me to say, hello, you know, congrats on your graduation. Uh, and, and it's like, <laughs> uh, I just have, I just did have that kind of, again, maybe he's having a great time. Who knows? But I did have that kind of set. like, oh no, Ernie Hudson in his <laughs> jumpsuit dancing around to the Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> he's essentially doing that now. Yeah. <laughs> And then funny enough, uh, the kid in that scene who co- who comes up to them and says, my dad says you're full of crap and that's why you went oh, out of business. That's Jason Reitman, right? That's Jason Reitman, who, uh, <laughs> of course, now is directed Afterlife and I is kind of now like one of the main creative heads of the Ghostbusters franchise, like not only directing the Afterlife sequel, but also overseeing all the other Ghostbuster projects coming down the pipeline. I think it's kind of funny that like for all the sort of um you know criticisms that afterlife draws like oh it's too reverent the first movie yada yada like yeah well you know maybe we should be happy that it's uh keeping keeping ernie hudson you know uh employed with dignity (laughs) yeah i i think ernie hudson deserves a better career because i think like I think in his non-Ghostbuster roles, he's a he's like a really good actor. Yeah, he's a charming guy. Yeah, and like, like he's in The Crow. Uh, he's in Congo. He's uh, in that. What, what the fuck's that? Uh, Jane Fonda. Um, the the Netflix sitcom. Um, oh, he's in Grace and Frankie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, isn't he? Uh, I think he's in that new Quantum Leap reboot series that they're doing, or oh, with they are doing. Friend. Yeah, he's in that. I didn't know that. Uh, he's in Miss Congeniality as like the the main uh, like the like as Sandra Bullock's like right. supervisor. Yeah, yeah, he's a good a character actor. I mean, oh, I will say this to Ernie Hudson's uh, credit: there's the slang term "black don't crack." And uh, when you when you watch Afterlife and you compare how Ernie Hudson yes. looks to Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray, you're like, whoa! Like, uh, uh, <laughs> I remember thinking that in Afterlife I was like, ooh, I bet Dana wishes uh, she hooked up with a different ghost. But <laughs> exactly, like Ernie Hudson may not have as grand of a career as Murray or Aykroyd, but he he looks a hell of a lot better. Um, no wonder he's the only one on Cameo, because you get a cameo from Aykroyd and Murray, and you're like, ah! ah cor- a corpse that they dressed up to look like Aykroyd or Murray is sending me a video. They're all very uh, Star Trek Nine, so very tired. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I mean, that that is Afterlife. Uh, again with Gozer. <laughs> There's a moment in Afterlife when they're like, where the older Ghostbusters get hit by Gozer and are sent flying against the Ecto One, and automatically like, oh yeah, those are at, those are stunt doubles. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if 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 that was actually the actors, they would be dead. <laughs> Gozer would have successfully killed them. But exactly, it's a good thing like that. These new Ghostbusters like are just kids because otherwise <laughs> they'd be like i don't know they like that's why that's why they had to do it that's why the the climax had to had to take place on an even level farm and not like the giant the huge <laughs> steps of gozer's temple from the first movie because the older ghostbusters would not be able to make those steps up 
<laughs> yeah, like they even built a big underground lair for for Gozer in that movie. But like, no, 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 no. Let, let him let let Gozer get out of there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but look, I think uh, I think we've said enough about uh, Ghostbusters two and and some and some thoughts about the Ghostbusters franchise. So let's start wrapping it up. Uh, let's start with most trashy. The thing that we least liked about Ghostbuster Two, our least favorite thing. I'll say this: I this has always irked me because we've said that the jokes and the humor in this movie are not as good. I will say too, as a little bit of background, this was a movie that I don't that was made under duress. Like right. I don't think like Ghostbusters, like I said, was not meant to be a franchise movie. They just made it to just make this weird funny movie and like it seemed like everyone from like murray reitman uh, uh, ramus maybe Ackroyd, maybe Ackroyd wanted to do it still because he's that type of guy but no one wanted to do a follow-up um so much so that i i read this weird trivia fact that like after the success of the first movie uh, everyone expected a sequel, but the head of Columbia was a real penny pincher mm-hmm. and would not green light a second movie because it would be expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that I that this studio exec even said, like in the press, like you know, we don't Bill Murray's too fucking expensive, so we don't need to do a Ghostbusters two, mm-hmm. which like really pissed off Murray. So. That guy eventually got fired and some like new yes men execs got put in so a Ghostbusters 2 could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely is, I, I, again, I think that's definitely what feels like the lower quality of effort is like people right. were eventually like, well, I guess we should go back and do a 2 because they want us to do a 2. And I'll say that like I think the worst joke of Ghostbusters 2 Maybe the worst joke of all the franchise is the one when they're first investigating Dana's apartment. And then Egon says, I'd like to run some gynecological test on the mother. And then Vegeman <laughs> says, who wouldn't? And it's just like, ugh. <laughs> like, look, 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 these two original movies are full of like gross 80s sex joke, but just like, yeah, we want to examine Sigourney Weaver's vagina that 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 joke has just always rubbed me the wrong way I always hate it when I hear it um it it just feels just indicative of the low effort of the humor of this movie so that is my pick for most trashy what about you Luana what's most trashy about Ghostbusters 2 to you yeah it's probably an extension of that like not necessarily the sexist jokes but like the um lack of anything to do for for the women there you know if uh, everyone gets out of their moonshine including lewis um and uh you know winston is there from the start uh it's it's wild but dana and janine don't get nothing to do um like i even think it would would have offset the more crude humor because like you can you can just brush that off as like yeah that that's that's who those guys are you know they're bros they're uh you know they're they're uh, chauvinist pigs or whatever, but if the ladies in your movies then actually go on to do stuff, then 
yeah, that 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 shows them up. You know, that that shows you that that's just them. But by not having that, it it <laughs> kind of tells you that like, no, that's that's kind of what the movie thinks too. <laughs> you know, um, so I'd say that is my most trashiest or my least liked part of Ghostbusters too. Yeah, and then in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, the one made before Ghostbusters 2, there were episodes where Janine did mm-hmm. do ghostbusting stuff where right. she oh had to gosh. like where she had to step in and like save the guys or be that extra support and mm-hmm. do like proton pack or ghost trap stuff. So mm-hmm. cartoon did it. Cartoon did it. So, you know. <laughs> uh, but moving on to better material, let's move on to least trashy, so thing we like the most. And I've said it before on the podcast airwaves, but I love soundtrack singles. I love mm-hmm. when they go through the effort of making a song just to advertise a movie. And I gotta say, On Our Own by Bobby Brown is one of my absolute favorite <laughs> soundtrack singles of all time. Uh, I think it honestly might be the best song of the Ghostbusters soundtracks even better than the Ray Parker Jr. theme oh seriously yeah it it has that New Jack Swing sound that I really like like I really just like New Jack Swing is like one of those music genres that just feels good to my ears even if the song isn't the best I just like that R&B infused with a little bit of hip-hop late 80s going into the early 90s sound and I think on our own is so exceptional and catchy and it's one of those uh soundtrack singles that was especially prevalent in the 80s of like you're the protagonist and you're gonna succeed you know kind of like i have the tiger or you're the best but on our own and i I gotta admit it luan i love this song so much that i have to admit that there have been times where i've (laughs) had to pump myself up to achieve something or get ready for something and i have listened to on our own to get me into that mindset oh that, that's um, great <laughs> and uh and of course trivia fact uh bobby brown himself does make a cameo uh he is the doorman for the mayor who says oh ghostbusters can you get my brother one of those proton packs that's bobby brown mm-hmm. uh and then there was a there's a very curious interview clip you can find online where he talks about having sex with a ghost that he claims <laughs> <laughs> and he says it in the weirdest way it's like oh yeah i was just sleeping in a bed one time and this ghost mounted me <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you didn't just watch the first movie Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe bobby brown was such a fan of the ghost of the go of the franchise i was like uh i saw ray get a I want to get my own ghost. <laughs> now you, you can find that online. You can find him claiming that he had hit a, a supernatural sex experience. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that, on our own, I do love that song. That's my most favorite thing from this movie. What about you? What's least trashy about Ghostbusters 2? I love the uh, ghost design. I said Vigo was a, was a you know good villain. Um, Scalari brothers are great ghosts. Uh, love the Scolari brothers, um, and I think I think it may also have one of my favorite gags of the entire series is the um, the commercial starring uh, Lewis and Janine. Yeah, where they do a uh, 
Like it's such a perfect uh, spoof of like local TV, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like small business owners and their families, you know, trying to act in a in a local commercial. Uh-huh. Like like Janine kind of stuttering over her lines. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, like the weird jump cuts. <laughs> like everything about it makes me laugh. And uh, so it's, it's funny that that is the – that's probably the hardest I've laughed at anything in any Ghostbusters. Um, is the fake commercial that they shoot. <laughs> but it, it is genuinely like a funny moment. Right, right, yeah. And I also like the idea that – like oh, just, you know, New York is just bad vibes. We need to, we need to come together and create good vibes. <laughs> and uh, like the, that, just like yeah, let's all hold hands and sing some, uh, some Jackie Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that and that'll 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 get the villain. You know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. That's nice. I like that. I, I think we should have more movies where good vibes destroy the villain. Again, strange how, uh, how, no matter how intentional it is, Ghostbusters 2 weirdly has relevant things that could be applied to today's environment, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've gotten to the end, so let's go ahead. Oh, wait, I, I want to say real quick, if you do like that commercial that they shot, if you go mm-hmm. on YouTube, you can find the full uncut commercial that they shot and in which you can see more of the very funny intentional bad acting oh great of that great. commercial um but going on to final question really the ultimate question of this podcast so luana give us your final thoughts and feelings by answering the question is ghostbusters 2 a trash movie technically yes because it was made under duress and it was just made you know um it was it was just a cash grab for everyone and it's not as good as the first one but you know i'm gonna say no because i simply like it (laughs) it's nice how about you what do you what do you think yeah i'm gonna go with a soft no it's not a trash movie because there are definitely things that we've said before that that aren't that keep it away from greatness one might say that definitely don't make it as good as the first movie but it's not an unpleasant watch like i don't think you'll watch the movie and have like a terrible time watching it like other sequels we've done like like jurassic park 3 or thor the dark world where it feels like oh that was kind of a bummer at the end i don't think you have i mean it's again like you said it's all about the good vibes so so uh yeah, I and that's kind of again the issue with all these Ghostbuster follow-ups. I I would not be surprised if Answer the Call or Afterlife is covered on the show at some point in the future cuz I think those movies like Ghostbusters 2 are fine enough, but there are bigger issues keeping it from being better. Um, but in the case of Ghostbusters 2, for all its troubles and not being as good as the first movie, it's a nice, pleasant time. And I get why people have affection for this sequel. And you know what? I think if people can just chill out <laughs> about Ghostbusters and just have some good vibes from the movies, I think we'll be in a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get that mood slime all better vibe. <laughs> um, but uh, that will do it for Ghostbusters 2. 
And in two weeks, we'll be doing another episode, a new episode, and not just any new episode, but, well, a special episode. It's going to kick off a special time of the year, because on our next episode, we'll be kicking off our month-long celebration of Halloween that we're going to call Trash-tober. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and what's Trashtober gonna be like? Well, that means all month long in the month of October, we'll be covering horror movies, and we'll be looking at the highs and the lows of what horror movies we're gonna talk about. And uh, uh, oh, oh, hold on, Luana, wait, wait a minute, I just got a news notification on my phone here. What? What's it say? It's a Jason Voorhees strikes again. What? I thought Jason was dead. I thought he was dead, but no, it says here that Jason Voorhees, oh my good, it has killed again another murder spree. So many people dead. It's like, it's what? A, how is that even pop? Hold on, wait a minute. I, I, I got another notification. It's an update to the Jason Voorhees story. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. This no update says that it's not actually Jason Voorhees. That, huh? that it was just some guy dressing up as Jason Voorhees killing all these people? It was a copycat? Yeah. What? The, that's so... That is so weird. Why would you have a news item like this that advertises itself about being Jason Voorhees killing people and then, like, it's not actually Jason Voorhees? Hmm. That's... Huh? Yeah. No, that I don't know. That sounds ridiculous. Uh, I, I don't get why. Uh, you know, hey, hey, you know what? Fake news. Fake news. You know what they say? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Fake news. Um, but uh, getting back to Trashtober, uh, what's on the schedule? Oh, wait. Speaking of Jason, our next movie to kick off Trashtober is Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. Ah, oh, look at that. Oh, all right, right. All um, right. Let's see if we can review it, or if two fake reviewers take our place next episode. I know. Who knows, Mike? <laughs> what, what's lurking behind the mask? We are the we are the people behind the mask, as uh, Alice Cooper once sang. But until then, you can follow this show on Twitter at Trash Movie Pod. Email the show at trashmoviepod at gmail.com. And if you're sp feeling especially nice and generous, you can give this show a five-star rating and review on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. In two weeks is our kickoff of Trashtober with Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. But until then, the defense rests. See ya. See ya.